This program was made possible by contributions to our engagement metrics and the reviews of listeners like you. No, seriously, this episode's film pick is a recommendation plucked directly from a review on one of our distribution platforms. Apple Podcasts. So, if you're looking to outsource your own afterthoughts on a film, consider leaving us a review and slapping that recommendation somewhere in the mix. Yeah, you have to do it, because without a title... We have nothing to watch, so just make sure you include it if you give us a review. Afterthoughts is under no legal or moral obligation to watch your recommended pick. If you make a recommendation and it doesn't immediately become an episode, don't blame us. We have no control over what movies or TV shows get slotted in for the next discussion. That's up to this guy in data analytics named Trent. He's a pretty chill dude, but sometimes he says stuff that's a little odd, like stuff that makes you second guess that invite you gave him to the upcoming unofficial company happy hour. Anyway, if your recommendation doesn't become an episode immediately, just get mad at Trent. And thanks for leaving a review. Welcome to Afterthoughts, everybody. I am your host, John Garcia. Uh, this night we got a good one, don't we? Um, uh, joining me at the table is Ryan King. How's it going? This is a uh, this be one of those times I started watching a movie and partway through realized I'd already watched it before. Uh, but oddly, it took me a while <laughs> to figure that out. It doesn't, it doesn't oh, yeah. usually happen. <laughs> Yeah, uh, <laughs> I totally get that. Halfway through this, I realized I was watching the best version of Mr. Smith Goes to Washington that I've ever seen. Oh, um, yeah. And yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, wow. Just taking down um, a different political system, yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, also joining us is Michael Dixon. What's up, guys? Yeah, really excited to get into this. We have our second listener request episode tonight, so that's pretty exciting. That is correct. This one comes to us from Tyler. Uh, and tonight we're talking about Harakiri, the 1962 movie directed by Masaki Kobayashi. Harakiri, the story of a man who, um, a ronin, I should say, a a wandering samurai without a a, uh, a lord showing up at like a palace to um, uh, basically commit suicide, ritual Japanese suicide. Um, He is seeking a courtyard to do it in. And the courtyard of this particular master happens to have some history with him. Uh, it's kind of like the mystery of the movie as it goes on. Um, so that's, that's the basic like premise and it has twists and turns and it kind of has this, uh, it's framed in a way that's just this grand story being told in a very quiet, like peaceful place. But it's about, uh, a lot of like the brutal acts that are committed in, uh, 17th century Japan, um, under a, a uh, a system that is supposed to instill honor and uh, and like dignity and a bunch of other idealism. Um, so it's like this clash of reality versus the ideals that uh, were at war in, in Japanese politics in the 17th century. Um, this is the first time that I've seen this movie uh, and I, I'm curious uh, what y'all thought. So I'll just kind of get my initial thoughts out of the way. I, I already said I really liked this as like a Mr. Smith goes to Washington sort of stand in uh it was it is a great filibuster when you <laughs> know at the end of it yeah at the end of it you know jimmy stewart's going to stab himself on the congressional floor uh <laughs> that's like the simpsons version of mr smith goes to washington <laughs> with mel gibson uh, <laughs> yeah it is definitely he, like kills um, the vice president with the american flag or some some shit yeah, yeah. uh but yeah it's it it I found it to be really gripping. Um, I thought that the stylistic shots, there was a shot in here that reminded me of Texas Chainsaw Massacre when he's like walking up on the palace. Uh, It looked very similar to that same kind of like behind a person walking into sort of ominous territory. Um, How do you think they're going to commit (laughs) Harakiri? You think think they're going to come up and ask us for jobs or threaten to commit suicide? Do you think this blood on that wall means there was illness here? <laughs> uh, 
Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, so it, it, it definitely gripped me with a lot of the cinematography within it. Um, and then the, the mystery within it, because it starts in such a way where you're told a story and reminded me of Rashomon in a bit, in a, in a little way too, because of the sort of difference between what happened versus what was depicted and sort of this telling of like reality versus um, the, the myths that are made. Uh, but I enjoyed it thoroughly. Like I sat spellbound to it, just waiting to see what was going to happen, sort of knowing that <clears throat> there was going to be some reveal that some fuckery was up in this place. Uh, but as it kind of progressed, it, it really drew me in. And by the end of it, <clears throat> that last sequence was just awesome. Like watching the whole kind of like run through uh, fight sequence and all this other stuff. Um, that's a bit of a spoiler thing, but again, this movie f from 1962, so you, you know, you, you got to deal with that. Um, uh, Dixon, I'll kick it over to you. Yeah. Go watch it, please. Before we talk more about it, but, uh, yeah. I'll, I'll kick it over to Dixon now. Uh, what did you think Dixon? Yeah, I really enjoyed this. I have had this sitting on my shelf for a couple of years and hadn't gotten around to cracking it open and, um, you know, glad that Tyler gave us, give me an excuse to watch this this week. And uh, from the opening shot, I was like, oh, shit, I'm really going to like this movie. Like that kind of slow zoom in on the samurai armor. Just the the cinematography in this movie is just impeccable. Every shot very well thought out. A lot of really cool Dutch angles and slow zooms and quick zooms and, and really effective work to tell the story and translate the mood and the vibe to the viewer in a, a really powerful way. Um the score is incredible. It almost sounds like a horror score. Like there's all these string instruments that are very unsettling and keep you on the edge of your seat. Um, I love the sound design too. Like a lot of the sound effects are, are incredibly well done and um, you're kind of at a heightened volume where they're a little bit louder than maybe what you would see in an American movie. And I actually like that. I think it helps to kind of add to the effect of everything that's going on in the scene and create more of an atmosphere. Um, you know, but like the, the movie isn't just you know, filmmaking, it's actually a, a it's fantastic story too. Like it has every, like it has plot and characters and great cinematography and a great score and, and kind of all of the elements that you need to make a fantastic movie. This movie does really, really well. And I was just pretty uh, amazed by how it was able to do everything it did at such a high level. You know, a lot of times we'll talk about a movie and I'll be like, yeah, you know, I really liked this aspect of it but you know maybe the character is a little weak i liked the cinematography but i didn't like the plot or something like that and and this movie just kind of hit on everything across the board uh, i was just just really impressed by it um john you mentioned rashomon um it can definitely see that with kind of the perspective shift i also kept thinking about movies that i have seen that came out after harakiri that were clearly influenced by it i kept thinking about silence of the lambs um like a movie where the prisoner is clearly in control of the situation and is making the interrogator uneasy as the movie goes along. Um, but yeah, I, I thought this was just a, a pretty incredible film, a really interesting social commentary about, um, you know, talking about feudal Japan, but really talking about, um, you know, powerful systems and governments and how they crush individuals and how, you know, as an individual, you really have no power to make a life for yourself and to live how you want to because you're living stuck in this system that kind of forces and molds people into what it needs them to be and um yeah i thought it was really powerful it made me think a lot about uh you know the u.s government today and uh you know how it treats its citizens how its military is uh incompetence and <laughs> a lot of things like that that um, what are you they, talking about? We've never lost a war, Dixon. <laughs> Everybody knows that. Uh huh. Yeah, not one yeah. that Congress has approved. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, I thought this movie was was really powerful and really fascinating. I watched it last night, and I've just been kind of ruminating on it for the past twenty four hours, and and haven't really been able to get it out of my head. Yeah, uh, Ryan. Yeah, I. I started watching this and yeah, it was maybe like 15 minutes in essentially once we've gone through the loop of the story one time that I was like, man, this is, this is wicked familiar. And I was like, I kind of think I remember where this is going. And then it clicked with me that, uh, back in the early days of Netflix, uh, for your kids in 2007, when they sent out DVDs, um, 
I would just get like everything. I would just max out the number of DVDs you could simultaneously have. <laughs> and I would drive to the distribution center so I could get them back to Netflix as fast as possible to get more back. And this is one of the movies Dedication. that was in that. Yeah, it was in that like backlog of things that I just never had like any opportunity to see um, just because it had a DVD release. But it wasn't the kind of thing that you'd find at Blockbuster or, or you know, or what yeah, have yeah. you. So I tore through a bunch and I watched this and I, you know, in the back of my mind, I remember all the stuff about it, but I couldn't have told you if you asked me about this movie right away what it was. And we were talking about it. Uh, you know, I looked at it. And I was like, oh, I've always been meaning to watch Kobayashi movie. Um, this is one of his better known. Looks like a great thing to get into. And I watched it and I was like, oh, yeah, I like this. I remember liking this um, <laughs> for sure. I think what's interesting now is to have a different perspective being so many years later that um, I've seen a lot more movies. I've also seen a lot more Japanese movies and Japanese media in general, and also just know more about the way the world works uh, than I did back then, early college years, uh, to to kind of have a different perspective of the slowness of this movie. It's funny that we were just talking about A Man Escaped, and we watched that, that also has that very pretty much suspense, the whole movie, you're on the seat, you know something is coming right but it's this sort of like slowness of eventuality of the of the things that are are coming um the very careful framing of everything um really it's just like two locations uh that we have and we really use it use it well um that 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 kind of all like oh that was an interesting thing for me to notice but then putting in the like knowing more about Japanese society now and they have systemic problems that are pretty much similar to what they had in the Edo period of just like the system is way more important than the people and it's hard for them to get any real political change because they kind of just vote for the one party. There's kind of really one party because it's just that's what it is, right? It's sort of still the same thing um, as if it was the Shogunate. There's just like, that's it. There's the Tokugawa and that's it. It's the one way. Um so yeah, interesting to see that. And as well, like this is a great representation of like the system picking up some people and spitting them out. There's nothing they can do about it. Like it wasn't anything, you know, and even as they say it, it's sort of like an arbitrary decision that casts everybody aside and leads to this, you know, d downfall of the of this couple of Ronin and then just the complete cover up of it as this movie continues to save face, like over and over again, all these things to save face that just ruin other people and then we just move on and present they didn't happen. Yeah. Um, so yeah, this is a, I, I, I really enjoyed it again this time. Like the, the same, I still feel like it was gripping uh, little bits. I didn't quite remember that it was good to kind of see again and be like, Oh yeah, yeah. yeah okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, I'm actually kind of curious to, to bring this up with uh, Dixon. Um, so like the year before this, you know, Jimbo came out. And then uh, I think it's two years after this fistful of dollars came out. And I feel like this is some missing piece too, because there's so much like facial expression that's emphasized in this, like the close-ups and everything that I think Leone is known for in his work. Yeah. It seemed like this was kind of present. I was curious if you picked up on anything else or like saw other influences, um, <clears throat> kind of similar work. But. Yeah, that's interesting. There's definitely a lot of close-ups, and it it feels um, kind of like a more modern edit. Like it it doesn't feel like a 1962 movie. It feels more like a late 60s or 70s movie with the way they're kind of constructing it and having these quick zooms and these close-up shots. That um, yeah, I don't know if the, if you know, I imagine Leone probably had seen this because he loved Yojimbo so much. Like he was probably watching a lot of these types of movies at the time. Yeah. Yeah, I don't remember as many like zoom quick zooms in Yojimbo as there were in this and definitely like close in on multiple different people's faces that you're right is a lot more of that Italian cinema the whole frame is someone's face like mm -hmm. in and those snap zooms on on the action, the tension. Yeah, it feels like Leoli took the plot of Yojimbo and took some of the style of Kobayashi but like really accentuated it. Yeah. So this this tells the story of uh, Tsugumo, I believe, is his name. Mm -hmm. um, he's the Ronin that wanders in. Uh, I think that, that the way that it sets the stage, too, like I mentioned earlier, um, 
being reminded of Texas Chainsaw Massacre like that, that that's just a weird, wild thing to kind of throw out when you're talking about this kind of movie, I feel. Um, but it, it really did have that, like the palace was like ominous and drawing in. I really liked, um, so much of this sort of being like these, uh, the locations are either really tight or they're very disorienting in the way that they're presented. Like, or, and then one case it opens up into like a wide field. And I feel like that, um, there was such a, a good grip on like what was needed for each sequence for each setting. Um, but I wanted to get y'all's kind of like take on uh, how did y'all feel about environments? Like the way that they were used here. Um, we, we talked about uh, Dixon, you talked about how like it was impeccably shot, like uh, in terms of feelings of like claustrophobia versus wide open areas. Like how did you feel about spacing in this? Yeah. I thought the, the scenes at the palace were very um, kind of organized and felt claustrophobic and like, you know, you have all these small rooms with these kind of very thin walls where they're separating into very small compartments. There's a lot of one, two back and forth shots kind of make you feel like you are confined within this area. And then you go out into the courtyard and it's a little more open, but you're still very confined by all these walls. And it feels like the, um, kind of Im impending uh, power of this this group of people of samurai that is is you know powering over people who who come up and, and request things from them um, and then you know the scenes of outside of this place showing just the desperate poverty that is happening out in the world either they're in a small shack and feel very claustrophobic or they're just kind of out and there's a lot of open space and you feel kind of the vastness of the poverty and the nothingness that is weighing down upon those characters. And so, yeah, the space is definitely very important in how they uh, construct these characters and, and show you what they're going through. Yeah. I think definitely that the tension in those scenes that are interior where they're discussing like, what do we do? What are we supposed to do? We just give him money to go away. You know, do we for try to trick him into continuing through this? And it's like a, what, a room full of people and they're really on top of each other uh and then similarly we kind of have some like one-off conversations where it's just the two people in the room again like really right on top of each other um that adds to that tension and then even though like when they're outside we have the the multiple shots in the courtyard where they're planning to have the ceremony um, it's again filled with people kind of all around the sides and it, and at certain points, like even more people come in and fill it up more. And so there's just this like tenseness of all of the people filling these spaces. Yeah. And it feels too, with the, the way that the blocking is done and like the, just the lineup of the, the different, um, actors, those samurai, um, there's kind of like a, in a way it's like Alfred Hitchcock's the birds, I suppose there's like this, <laughs> this impending doom of everybody around him sort of ready to descend and just like flay this man alive. Um, either, you know, by using the tools of the like honor system that's been developed in that culture, or actually just like pure violence of, Hey, we're all going to just like descend on you and strike you down no matter what. Um, and I think that we get a taste of that in the the uh, flashback story um, that's talking about uh, Motome, where that whole sequence, I guess we should probably talk about that because that's really like the elephant in the room. That's like the whole crux for the story happening um, is that there is a, another Ronin Motome who shows up and says he wants to commit suicide. Um, he's going to do Harakiri and the everybody at this time just for the context out there for folks listening like this is a known as a scheme in edo at this period they're like okay like some there's one story where a ronin showed up and was like i want to commit ritual suicide and uh the uh people in the palace were just like just give him like just get him away we don't want him to like commit suicide in our courtyard and they gave him money and he went away right that was it the they first one guy. is that they take him on oh. as a retainer that's right. They take him on as a retainer because they're impressed by his yeah. honor. But everybody after that, they're like, yeah, we, we don't want to deal with this. We'll like, give yeah. him money. Yeah, just throw him coins, get out of here. Um, and so it's kind of like this This initial story inspires other people to go and scam people by threatening to commit ritual suicide. 
Um, it's a real game of chicken in this system, it seems. And Motome is unfortunately the person who is made an example for this. Uh, rather than give him coin, um, the uh, samurai decide that they're just going to force him to do it. And um, at that point in time, it's kind of revealed that he doesn't even have his swords. He has bamboo swords. And they do the extra fucked up thing and say, oh, a real samurai would die by his own blades. So you just got to fucking disembowel yourself using bamboo sword. So just fucking do it. Um, and that scene where you're watching everybody kind of sit around him and you're feeling like that there's a, a bit of like iffiness as they're like, okay, he's you're seeing his reactions to what they're saying of like, well, they're deliberating. What do we do? And he thinks that he's kind of got like he could be one of these scammers. I really enjoy the way the movie sort of makes you feel initially like they, like the, the palace samurai feel. They're just like, this guy's probably trying to scam us. We're going to give him what for. And um, he, you know, the system, he deserves it. This is how the system is built. You're not supposed to abuse the system. Yeah. So, at, at the start, you almost root for the samurai against this guy coming in and asking to commit suicide because you're like, oh, they're playing a trick on him. Like this is, this guy's a piece of shit. He just wants some some money and and you know isn't actually wanting to go through this uh you know honorable sacrifice and, and death and like fuck this guy they're they're just gonna string him along and um you know take this to its logical conclusion and make an example out of him and you're kind of you're kind of rooting for them to show him to be the fraud that he is until yeah they actually go all the way through with it and you're horrified yeah the tension yeah, of exactly. like is he gonna run away like is he gonna call himself out and like lose face and just be like, ah, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, and leave. And you just keep prodding down the steps of like, how far will it go? Yeah. Um, so then from there, it's like that whole sequence of escalating phase through phase where you can initially see that he has dismay on his face when they say, okay, we'll let you use our courtyard. And then he starts to beg for like a two day reprieve to go and do something. And you're like, wow, this guy's really squirming um, for something. It's, it's really impressive to see that. Uh, from a storytelling standpoint, just because to not be fully familiar with, not to say that you have to be fully familiar with Japanese culture to know that this is what's happening, but you can just feel like the emotional tension of the characters. I don't think that you have to know anything about the honor system or what it is. You can just tell from the emotion from the actors, like this guy is hiding something and he really doesn't want them to show to find out. And that becomes like a piece of the mystery of like, why the fuck would he come in here trying to do this? And to have the initial explanation be, oh, he did it for money because that's a thing that you could do. Uh, somehow I was like, oh, yeah, I guess that that would make sense. But watching them actually make him do that and like that whole scene of him laying out there and having to stab himself and like lean on the sword just fucking uh, it made me tense up. I did not like watching it. Um, yeah. And then the really guy, his second, who's, you know, supposed to cut his head off once he disembowels him, he's like, why aren't you slashing your intestines open it's like he knows that he has a bamboo sword but he's just fucking with him and making him prolong his agony and it's just so incredibly cruel and upsetting to watch yeah i think the reveal like it's interesting one of the shots when they reveal to him the sword he's supposed to use when he gets out there like he's changed his clothes he kneels down he's out there but they don't have the sword in front of him they have it off to the side like behind a little wall and so after they kind of go through the conversation, they bring that over to him and show him. And it's like, it's again, it's like extra cruel that it's like they know they're going to try to push this a little bit further. And then when he finds that out, they kind of keep pushing. And the fact that it's like even after he goes far enough to stab himself to not be like, OK, I guess he means it. Let's get this over with that. They continue to egg him of, of just like the torture of it, that it 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 flips from that. Like you're saying, we're kind of cheering them on to like okay well he'll they'll get him out of here and he'll run off and be scared into this like yeah okay you, it's too far it's done can we finish like it gets uncomfortable and that really sets up later as we get into those reveals of like how actually kind of sick the the you know what they took the opportunity to be like oh we'll show him and they did it in like the worst way possible yeah uh it, it reminds me of any of those parallels to like um you know we talked about kills of the flower moon and how there's like this tendency for uh, the the quote unquote civilized society to frown and look down on other people and marginalize them using the tools of like their systemic oppression. And here it was like, 
that same kind of like, well, we, you know, we're adhering to honor and that's what honor is, but they're being a bunch of shitheads about it. And it's clearly not honorable anymore when one party has agreed and like fulfilled the part of the honorable agreement of this ritual. And the other party is just like, no, you're not fucking, we'll bend the rules and let you fucking figure it out yourself. Um, Yeah. So yeah, it's pretty fucking brutal. They feel like they only have to show him honor if he's a actual samurai and even then they get into that sort of like, you know, quote, no true samurai type of situation yeah. as well, which is, again, like another layer of bullshit on top of it. Um, yeah, it's like they, you know, they keep talking about how he is not honorable because he's asking for a day or two reprieve because he sold his sword for bamboo because he clearly just doesn't want to actually go through with it and wants to get money and get out of there like. They have all these excuses as to why he's a piece of shit and therefore they should be able to treat him like a piece of shit. And it's just like, you know, when when you think about the world that way, it just ends up with everybody being a piece of shit, you know, because you end up, uh, everybody treats everyone as if they're other and, you know, you end up with somebody forcing someone to kill themselves with a bamboo sword. <laughs> yeah. What's the uh, that Confucius saying that they bring up in the movie? It's something like the suspicions of a man's mind will make his own demons, something yeah. like that. Mm-hmm. Um, this like, you know, if you're making all of these assumptions about somebody, then obviously if you set out with the intention to hate them and you make the assumptions that you should to make yourself hate them, you're going to other them and you're going to uh, justify your cruelty um, by any means necessary. And uh, yeah, that's that's the whole crux of the, the situation. But to just watch... After that story is told, this man be like, uh, I'm still intending to kill myself. I have my blades with me. They're not made of bamboo. I know what I'm going to do. Um, it like eases. It's funny because like uh at that point, the um kind of like head of the, the head of the place, the head of the palace is just like, Oh yeah, okay, like sure. Um, I guess we'll grant you your harakiri. Uh, even after I've told you that story, you clearly have resolve. I'm uh, impressed by it. And you brought steel, so like we know this is going to happen. Let's go to the courtyard and do it. I like where they how they stage that sequence where you know he comes in and this guy's like, "Let me tell you about the last motherfucker who came in and did this." I don't think you're going to want to <laughs> yeah. do this. And he like starts telling the story, and then he stops and cuts back and is like, "You see where this is going, right? You don't want to do this." And he's like, "No, I want to do it." And he's like, "All right, I guess I'll tell you more of the story." And you know, yeah. but he hears the whole thing, and he's like, "Yep, still, still going to do it." Yeah, they're like. All right, uh, <laughs> go right out. The guy, the guy just and, yeah, seems so annoyed. You know, he's like, "Really, again, another one of these guys that wants to kill himself in my courtyard." Like, what? What am I going to do about this? Can I just get him to go away? <laughs> it's like it's it's amazing too because like to have somebody invoke the this ritual, they make it seem from the way that the system is set up, at least the way that their system is set up, like, uh, well, he invoked it, so now we got to honor it. Like they, they can attempt at any point to try to turn somebody away, which has been demonstrated. Other people have given Ronin coins and turned them away. You don't even have to give them to- coins. You can just tell them like, I'm sorry, our courtyard isn't going to be used maybe or something. But then they make this a whole, no, you're honor bound and you have to do it. Um, and so he's like, God, he's really fucking annoyed that he doesn't have an option to just turn him away, which is another piece of like, they built this whole system so that at some point you can just be like, yeah, I guess it is what it is. I got to let you do this. Uh, that's going to be fine. Um, it's also like all of his decisions are based on how that clan will look to other parts of the, the country and the surrounding areas. Like, well, we'll look weak if we give him money and let him go away or we'll, you know, yeah. uh, if, if we like hire him, then we'll look really weak. Like we can't have that word getting around. We have to like, fuck with him and make sure that everybody knows that like we're the place that you can't mess with you know so Rodin stop coming around here it's like so, you yeah, why, just tell him to go Jones's away like, clan? You, yeah just, <laughs> there's another option just tell him to leave like yeah <laughs> well and it, it's it's interesting that uh especially you know at, at, to the end of the movie where we see that they kind of just wash everything away literally and figuratively that uh at any time they could be like you know he's like oh the other ones will find out it's like from who yeah <laughs> like our own yeah. retainers are going to tell other people what we did and it gets out or this guy because we let him go well then why let him go just kill him and then say he did it or he fought us or whatever right like there's other outs that aren't as cruel even if you want to cover it up 
that they don't take either. I think that it is that the system reinforcing that is really the, the like piece here of like, again, they do still want to be honorable and there is in a sense, a higher power in the system. Uh, there is, you know, some amount of like belief in afterlife, you know, in the Bushido code that you die honorably, um, as well as how it like reflects on your family, whether anyone knows that you did that honor honorably, it's like intrinsically that honor is important, sort of, you know, I'm equating it somewhat to like the Christian belief in sin, like, you know you send the world the universe knows you send whether other people found out or not sort of that same system of honors kind of in place yeah they, i mean like even one of the samurai talks about like well you'll want to probably not die here because then your lonely ghost will like haunt this or that and like they have a place and a time that they will kill somebody <laughs> and then they will tell people about it and uh it's it's interesting to watch the whole movie set up all of that like it really walks you through that from the beginning part of this is a justified act to then being like nope this is absolute cruelty then falling back to like no well there are like rules in this system here here and here and by the end of it it just like completely disassembles all of those rules and all of that system um with a chaotic fight that is it's it's almost Lord of the Flies kind of is how it feels like it just it's that like you've switched from a civilized society to now it's just pure violence yeah. and it's like wreaking havoc through like the halls of this great palace which is like a monument to the kind of honor and status that is built in this era of feudal Japan. Um, but yeah, like that in between that and like the the very formal aspects of addressing the counselor and seeking a request i really loved uh uh tsugumo's like i request that this one samurai be my second and he's Mm -hmm. like well he's sick (laughs) like (laughs) three of them being sick and he's just like fucking around laughing about it (laughs) like yeah they're so much uh, more tired of it (laughs) the second one they're like yeah just this guy's fine Just fucking pick anybody. Yeah. yeah. Well, the the first one is like, oh, he's he's seems to be indisposed. We'll send someone out to get him. Like in the meantime, we'll just wait, and uh, you can tell us your tale. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and he's like, I-, I love the coyness as well, where he's like, ah, you don't want to hear this old man's useless ramblings. Uh, like, uh, yeah. Whatever. <laughs> so much baiting uh, in, in this, and it's one of those things where you're like, okay, I definitely recognize he's using this system of politeness um dixon you and i have both seen Saltburn recently which is another movie about <laughs> somebody using the politeness of like an upper class to uh exploit and destroy it from the inside um and that it's it's always fun to see that happen <laughs> so here i was like both intrigued by how horrific a lot of the events that were being described were just in general the premise of harakiri is gripping like to see it's it's one of those um, things where if somebody says that they're going to to do this, they're committed to doing something. Part of you wants to see if they actually are going to do it, and I think that that like hooks from the beginning of the movie, um, and, and yeah, for and sure, follows like brings you through. Well, Ryan, this is your second viewing of it that you remember. Um, was there anything else? <laughs> yeah, anything maybe you Ryan's picked seen up on it four or five times. Yeah, who knows? Who knows? Yeah, I think I remember the initial sort of the, the you you hear the one story our main character says oh i don't know that guy and then once he gets in there he's like yeah i might have known him and then he proceeds to describe how essentially he's his adopted son uh, <laughs> and like slowly lowers yeah. you into that story um and i remember that i remember the switch what i what i didn't remember as well um that i think was really interesting is kind of the unraveling of the code at the end and the cover up um, you know, as we see through their like log book of like nothing really important happened today. A <laughs> uh, bunch mm-hmm. of people got sick. Right. For yeah, like that's it. Bunch of illnesses. It was crazy. Uh anyway, moving on. <laughs> a bunch uh, of people came down with katana fever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh that th- it was interesting that because I, I now I'm like, okay, I really can see the whole package of the movie of this complete beatdown of the Bushido code, which I think then it's an interesting 
you know, we, we were talking a little bit about the like anti-Westerns this last year, that this is really like the anti-Samurai movies. And there is a, you know, somewhat, we, we mentioned Yojimbo, there's kind of a mix in this time period in Japanese cinema between continuing to look back wistfully on the Edo period and some movies like this. And I would say Yojimbo also kind of, you know, break down the system. So, you know, he's like Seven Samurai kind of holds it up and then like Yojimbo kind of breaks it down. And those are, you know, really close to each other and in, in, in when they came out. So it's interesting to see how it's presented um, here of really just being brought down and just kind of like it's, you know, this 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 bullshit not to necessarily be upheld. Yeah. If Yojimbo like poked some holes in the samurai movie, then Harakiri just like completely flattened it to right. the ground. Yeah. And, yeah. <laughs> Um, it's it's interesting how, you know, he goes through his story and, you know, I, I love how the perspective shifts from, you know, this guy who we told the story about who we made him kill himself with the bamboo sword. You kind of think he's a piece of shit, even though they were so cruel to him because he just seems like, what is he doing? He's just coming by trying to trick them into giving him money, acting like he's honorable, but clearly doesn't want to actually go through this thing that he says he does. Um, but then you see the whole story unfold from Sugume's perspective and you see what that whole family has gone through and all the the trials that they have been through. And, you know, they were samurai for this, you know, rich clan that was disbanded. And then they were just kind of forced to wander the countryside looking for jobs and, you know, get to a point where, you know, there's a grandfather, a daughter, a son-in-law and a baby and they don't have any money and they're just kind of scraping by and trying to figure out how to live and you know the the samurai clan isn't necessarily at fault for that but i don't know that they're blameless in that either you know it, it, the feudal society it's not built by the samurai but it is upheld by the samurai and you know i can easily see how they could be held responsible for poverty occurring in the country and, um, you know, kind of for propping up the wealthy elites and keeping all of the, the food with the richest people and letting so many people starve to death. And, you know, you start to look at it from that side of things and you begin to identify with the character that you previously looked down upon. And I think that's a, just a really interesting way that I think that's kind of John, B talks about Rashomon. Maybe that, I think that's kind of what you're getting at in the Rashomon comparison where, you know, you're kind of seeing the story from a different angle and it's it's not showing you the same thing again, but it's showing you the background of that character so that you appreciate the previous scene differently. And I think that's just is so well done in this movie. Yeah, and I think it's interesting too that, that it, the, the way it plays with the code in that this sort of arbitrary decision about some disagreement that they don't necessarily get into causes... You know, our our main character's former liege to lose his status and all of his Ronin, you know, all his samurai are just cast out uh, to become Ronin. And the issue with being a Ronin is that, like, the samurai had only learned to be warriors. Like, that was their job, was to be a warrior, to be a tax enforcer, walk mm-hmm. around with their swords, and that was it. And not that they don't have skills, but it's beneath them to really take on any other jobs either. And so we do see that uh, the I'm forgetting his name, but the Motome Motome um, mm-hmm. he has a job teaching Chinese um, because he's not he's not fully a samurai or you know he didn't fully become one in his time. Um, but our main character, like he seems to fuck around with umbrellas, but he, he doesn't he doesn't really he and he can't go out and take these other jobs. He sort of mentions it's it's demeaning, it's beneath him. There's this offer to take his daughter, you know, to to be adopted by another family to get her some status, you know, different. But he's like, again, his honor prevents him from doing that. And so it's like his these rules, the system, the honor, like keep preventing him from doing anything about the situation where maybe someone else could if they weren't formerly a samurai like he used to have this status um, that that he just can't do these things. And the society contributes to that too, right? There's that scene where Matome tries to go get a day laborer job. Right. And the guy who's hiring is like, no, I can't fucking hire you, dude. Like these people would revolt if they saw me hiring a samurai 
to do this. Like I have to get the townspeople work. I can't do this for you. And so there is this, you know, the sense of honor that like he can't even just like change into normal clothes and like stop wearing his samurai hair and just act like a normal person to go get a day laborer job. Like he might be able to support his family if he were to do that, but he can't bring himself there. Yeah. And this, the further like his swords, you know, we see that he sells them to get care for his son, the medical care. And like the system is craps on that right of of like mm-hmm. yeah your swords are important even if you're dying if you're starving if your children are dying you have to hold on to your swords like that's important um similarly the revenge is cutting off some of the top knots of some of the guys that took and again the two of them when one of them kills himself and two of them won't even come out they're like so embarrassed that they've lost their top knot um that that's it like that's what they had like that's the most important thing is like that you have your swords and your hair is done correctly is more <laughs> important than anything else. Yeah. And we get that. Like, I, I would say, you know, there's some movies where it seems like it would be, this is again, like the Mr. Smith goes to Washington for me of uh, samurai films. Uh, I've said it uh, two times before, but like, uh, especially in the sequence in which um, uh, Hanshiro Tsugomo is, is sitting and like he, basically his life is in shambles. Like, um, uh, Matome has already like left and uh, like been brought back dead. Uh, and his daughter Miho's like going to uh, basically die of some, something that's probably tuberculosis, uh, some kind of illness that she's fallen to. And then the baby has, uh, you know, a high fever and is, is, if not is already dead. Um, and he's just sitting there looking at everything in despair. And then he sees his swords and that they're still, he still has the steel. He doesn't have the bamboo that Matome had. He didn't sell these. And he curses them and is like, why did I do this? Like, why would I keep, I looked around and I looked for things that I could sell or something that I could do. And I just overlooked these, like at all, at all odds, I just never considered selling these. Um, and that was like, that's the biggest, like on the nose, I guess, condemnation of, what the fuck is any of this for? Like, what does the system even mean? And that's when the movie kind of comes to that head of like, this is just bullshit. And uh, I think that's like right on the cusp of his story being wrapped up and the counselor, the counselor, like not giving two shits about how it ends either. Yeah. <laughs> He's just kind of like, what did you fucking want? The system is what it is. He had to die that way. He died that way. He says, I wrote down his line, um, he said, this world does not bend to sentimental tales. And I thought that was a very good uh, kind of encapsulation of the film. And, uh, you know, looking at these massive institutions and how they exist to protect themselves and prop themselves up and to kind of fuck over everybody else. And like, the system doesn't care about you as an individual. You're fucked and there's nothing you can do about it. And you can get angry and lash out, but at the end of the day, it's not going to change anything. Yeah. And it it's that, like, in him saying that, too, it, it shifts the dynamic because for up until that point, um, Tsukumo has, like, been in control of the narrative. And is it seems like he's pretty convinced, you know, he, he might be convicted to, like, have conviction with killing himself, that becomes less of the point and more of it. He's like, Oh, I'm here to make a point and I'm here to show you that there's hypocrisy in your ranks, that there's corruption, that like you're part of something that's completely intolerable and could have been more of what your ideals that you profess are, but it's not that case. And even when he has demonstrated that and told this story and he gets that, like, you know, the world doesn't bend to these sentimental things that's when it just becomes like everything falls apart. And he's like, well, uh, I just hoped that I would at least get a shred of acknowledgement, like some kind of validity, um, that this was, could have been handled better by both sides. And rather than give that, they're like, no, like just no, that's not. So that's when he finally is just like, well, fuck it. Here are like three top knots of your supposed top samurai, they're a bunch of fuck nuts and I beat all of them <laughs> and like all of your shit's bullshit. And that's when, uh, the, the like counselor's just like, yeah, fuck this. I'm going to go wait in another room. Everybody deal with this problem for me. I'm just going to listen until it's done. <laughs> and, like, 
that that whole sequence is just so there's such a pit of despair in it for me as a as somebody in the audience watching i'm just like is it going to end just like this and we just watch him die and then it fucking rolls credits um but then that big like last lash out starts and that just immediately brought me back to like oh fuck okay yeah i'm here for this like fuck fuck whoever up like do whatever you can it's it's the most scathing cathartic go john moment. wick on their asses yeah go full <laughs> john wick on them doing so much with your like yeah he like breaks one of their spears and it's just like you just hear a bunch of noise it cuts back to him just running around like hitting dudes getting one guy sliced getting another guy in an arm lock and like headlock and all that shit it's fucking wild um but yeah that that whole last moment or just or that whole last sequence so great him running through like a bull in a china shop yeah this palace yeah well, it's a, the fact that he pretty much is just yeah will you say that this system sucks that you did some wrong and they're like no and then they immediately are dishonorable <laughs> afterwards yes so they're willing to like break the code to try to continue to hold face but not willing to admit never willing to admit that they made any mistakes right like it's more important to say yep. that i made no mistakes than it and is it, to not make mistakes it's about yep. propping up their false honor and making it seem like they're honorable and sugumo had just told them that the point of his story was to show that samurai honor is nothing but an empty facade and he's like, well, if, if that's your message, you were never going to win us over. We actually care about the samurai honor. Anyway, everybody kill this yeah, motherfucker. Just, yeah, fuck over his honor. Even <laughs> though he like, yeah. proved he was honorable the whole time. Yeah. Yeah. Like he immediately <laughs> undercuts himself by commanding them all to murder this guy after he says, well, we care about samurai honor. So how dare you take this message in here and try to convince us if you're bullshit. And it's just like, it's very much the hypocrisy of big systems like this. That's, you know, saying one thing and, and doing another um, you know, saying we're fighting for freedom and killing a bunch of foreigners, you know, th things of that nature. And uh, it's just yeah. like, you know, a tale as, as old as time. And I thought that was so powerful. Like, Ryan, you're talking about how they're writing in the, the logbook, like nothing really happened today. So people got sick. And, you know, it's like they go through this huge fight scene that's probably 15 minutes long. And, and you know, finally, they kind of get him in a corner and he's in the room with the samurai armor that we see in the opening shot and he kind of uses it as defense for a little bit and just kind of topples it and wrecks this samurai armor to the ground and it does actually commit harakiri and and stab himself in in the gut and and kill himself and then you know instead of having a second to cut his head off just a bunch of guys came in with muskets and just shoot him shoot so him, yeah. um you know yeah. he does kind of get the traditional harakiri ceremony at, in the end after all that um but you know he's basically like shattered the entire idea of samurai honor while he's there and then once he's dead they you know the lackeys come into the counselor and they're like four guys died and eight guys are injured and he's like they died of illness this guy committed harakiri honorably just like he said he wanted to do and um you know that's that you know you you should know the ramifications of this like you know go tell these other people to kill themselves that lost their top knots but tell them, you know, we're going to tell everybody else they died of illness because, you know, this would just be such a stain upon the honorable house of bullshit if we were to actually tell people what really happened here. And then they reconstruct the samurai armor, and that's kind of the closing shot of the movie. And it's like, all of this has happened for nothing, for no purpose whatsoever. We have now reassembled the facade that we have just broken down and there is no honor here, but we are projecting out as if there is. Yeah. And something that, uh, I also, you like talked about when you're recapping that Dixon is, um, the surfacing of muskets, like the usage mm -hmm. of guns in a samurai film is very indicative of, I mean, it's used in Yojimbo to signify this one crazy dude who's come back from like the West and has brought Western technology and how like it's better than the sword. Like it is, it is a sign of, uh, development, like between like from external forces to Japan and like a cultural shift and a technological shift in Japanese culture. And here, when we've spent so much of the time talking about swords and swordsmanship, and like, we start to see some chips in like the, the actual facade of samurai honor, starting with like, 
even the sword fight that happens in the hills um, where there's like the rolling fields uh, with wind and everything. And like, uh, you know, Tsukumo just goes up against one of those samurai and breaks his sword um, by using like superior technique, having, you know, he's like, it doesn't really matter about some of the steel, but like he says something that was also like a great line, which was like, oh, like teaching like swordsman techniques to somebody without actual practice in combat is like teaching swimming on dry land. Mm-hmm. It's like completely useless without actual application. Um, and it just kind of demonstrates that like being a samurai now is part of a facade, a traditional facade to uphold a status symbol. And no longer are you actually good at what you were supposed to be in the past. There's that nostalgia. But then getting into the point where he's like kicking the entire ass of everybody in this palace, <laughs> runs into that room, grabs the samurai facade and holds it as though it might protect him from all of their swords. They don't want to hit it. But then the muskets come out and it's just like, all right, we've like fully gone past this. Like uh, anybody in the audience in like 1960s Japan that was like longing and longing for a pre-World War II Japan or like the good old days of like honor and all these systems it just seemed like a big flip of like, you know, the the thumb towards somebody of like, eh, you you really don't know what you're wishing for because it was no better then and it's no better now. And like the, the system, this has always been something that's present in in humanity. Um, but always interesting to see guns surface in a samurai movie. They're always used in that sort of way of like foregoing a system or needing to fix a problem fast. And that's the ultimate symbol of not <laughs> adhering to the rules in that moment. Yeah. But, like not um, upholding yeah. your samurai honor. If you're resorting to like cheat codes. Yeah. 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 It, it's interesting having, having watched samurai movie, you know, before I mentioned that, you know, as I've watched more media and read more, I understand more about Japanese culture. I do think in the movie, they were presenting it sort of as the, you know, like a, a classical, you know, Western style of shooting someone, Mm -hmm. right. To, to, to kill them, um, as a punishment. Right. Um, but interestingly, I'm like, I'm not quite sure how much it plays into the sort of like technology future piece, because it, I Mm -hmm. agree in a lot of movies, even the Japanese movies, the gun does kind of represent this like future technology, but they were trading with the Portuguese, for years before we get to to matthew perry uh (laughs) that is his name (laughs) um (laughs) commander perry coming over yeah and really being kind of the the change of the west um and one of their main things they traded was for guns and even tokugawa and prior to tokugawa uh they were using guns in the military in these Mm. grand samurai battles samurai never were supposed to shoot guns they would always have conscripts, yeah. but they would use those quite effectively and were more than happy to have guns in their army, you know, have cannons, things that they would see. They're dishonorable enough to give to someone else this, instead this, of the this. bow and arrow, instead of the sword. But <laughs> we're going to totally get like 200 of them out there and shoot a bunch of people, shoot a bunch of samurais down. No problem. Yeah. Um, it is interesting that relationship that the samurai had with the guns, like wanting that new technology and recognizing it, but also being like, but we're not going to hold it. We're going to give it to someone else. This thing you see with, uh, quote, Ninja mm-hmm. Shinobi uh, also had all these tools that were dishonorable. And that was kind of like their job to go do these assassinations. But there was totally part, an important part of warfare, which is assassinate a guy before the battle ever started. But not a samurai is not going to assassinate it. We'll have these other people on the side use these things. So it's like honorable to assassinate, but dishonorable for me to be the one to assassinate um, again, even in the time, these sort of hypocrisies. Um, similarly, the 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 honor they talk about at the beginning, you know, with the armor in particular, they're like, "Oh, our clan is known for their warriors and their defense, and we need to uphold that." In a time that we're shown, these swords are meaningless; they're not using them to fight anymore. The armor is meaningless; they're not using it to fight anymore. The, mm-hmm. you know, in particular, this time, the Tokugawa period was the period of peace. It was the end of all of the warring states. And that's why all these Ronin are cast out with nothing to do because there's yeah, this yeah, collapsing yeah. society without a war anymore. But we have to uphold how much we're warriors <laughs> and like yeah. show that we're warriors. It's it's almost like they sense budget cuts are around the corner and they're like, look, well, we guys, we got to get something together that proves that we still have value here. <laughs> and so <laughs> we're going to. 
you you grab this armor and put it on a stand and we'll talk about it uh and how awesome it is and everybody <laughs> be like oh yeah we need them um but it, it is part of like that yeah upholding those traditions those things i mean that's why we still have like figureheads to this day for monarchies and like empires you, you you just for some reason people are like yeah that's you know that's just like always been there it's just a tradition now it, sure they're just like a figurehead but like you know the royal family takes in however much money but like they make all this other money because of tourism and stuff like that it's just a really weird position that like a a culture gets in and a country can get in when it's like uh tradition fully matters and we have to save face on like why we still have this or what this is here for um so interesting justifications but yeah i've been watching some videos recently of a guy who goes around on uk media and talks about like how bullshit it is that they keep propping up the monarchy and <laughs> the arguments he gets in with the news um, because again it's a system that's trying to like reinforce itself right our news media tries to reinforce the system that's kind of their place even though we like to think of them as you know, tearing down the system by providing truth. Mostly they, Oh no, mostly they just keep the establishment going. Um, yeah. And the, the roundabout arguments of like, well, if they're not important to us politically, then we should remove them from that part. If they're just rubber stamping everything, then they're meaning us. Well, no, they are important to our government, but they don't do anything. Well, yeah, then we don't need them. And there's just like roundabout piece of it over and over again. And he, he does a really good job of like making that argument, but it is interesting to see how, little people in the uk want to hear it or really think about it or face it because that's just what's been there like all their life that's just been it yeah. you just have a monarchy um and as long well, as it's I mean, not that's... hurting me i guess i'll leave it alone right yeah that's like how uh what is it uh, in in the u.s we there's you know all those statues that got taken down from the confederacy and then some people came out and were like we need those those are part of history and like they're important to leave where they are even though they were like so erected in 1920 yes yeah yeah exactly they won't say which part of that history but yeah. they're like yeah very important but it's like all right well cool let's just take them down and put them in a museum that's dedicated to racism and they're like well hold on now you can't just put them in a museum. Yeah, that we don't would want preserve them. To them. Yeah. <laughs> Give them context. We need people to be scared of those things and know their place when yeah. they walk by them. <laughs> exactly. Um. So yeah. Uh, there anything uh, else? Any other scenes that we didn't discuss? Um. That that stuck out that I've I've forgotten at this point. Uh, I just want to say that the the first quote unquote samurai movie that I ever saw was when I was probably thirteen. Uh, and that was the Tom Cruise vehicle, The Last Samurai. The Last Samurai, <laughs> and, I was going to say. Uh, I loved that movie when I was a teenager, and I haven't seen it since, and I imagine it probably sucks pretty hard. But um, I thought about that as I was watching this movie, because this movie is talking about how stupid and pointless the whole samurai thing and that institution is. And in The Last Samurai, toward the end of the movie... Ken Watanabe's character is committing harakiri in battle and he turns to Tom Cruise and he says the way of the samurai is no longer necessary and Tom Cruise looks at him and he goes what could be more necessary and, and like <laughs> even as a teenager I just lost my shit I was like are you fucking serious man like that was the funniest thing I've ever heard <laughs> and that line has stuck with me since then because of how stupid and absurd it is and I feel like, uh, you know, the makers of that movie uh, never watched Harakiri, so they should do that. Tom Tom Cruise should go watch Harakiri. If I remember, there's a new Shogun movie or limited series or something that's coming out um, that is, you know, there is some tiny basis in fact that the last samurai like picked one thing out of that there was actually uh an american who traveled to japan and ended up becoming a samurai de facto um and and getting a clan so somewhat and having his own armor and things like that um there's not a lot of details on it and they obviously embellish yeah. a ton it's interesting to me that i'm like they're going back to it again um even now where I'm like, well, I think we all know, like everybody knows, even at the time they were kind of feeling it about the last samurai, but now we really, really know. Um, again, it's interesting that we as an American audience are still interested enough in 
this samurai system to try to make stories to show how cool it was. <laughs> that is just part of that like mythology. I mean, it's the same thing with like the gunslinger and all this. So you get it's interesting to see through different genres because we talked about westerns and we talked about um, samurai films and like each one of them undergoes a period of like romanticism and mythology. And then it's followed by like the most awesome hardcore cynicism <laughs> and <laughs> like anti-hero stories, <laughs> just like brutal post genre embrace where you're like, all right, I'm here to see these idols and images deconstructed. Cause like nothing is perfect. And this movie is one of those testaments of like, idealism is bullshit like idealism can lead you to this path of like lying out of your teeth and still believing that you're doing everything right and living by this righteous code uh, and it it others other people um and it reduces people's lives to like some cog in a system of like well that just happened to you because sorry that's just the way that this works like um it's not to say that like ideals are bad to have they can lead you in good directions but they can also it's like the double-edged blade you can just just as easily double down in the wrong direction trying to stick to ideals um, i think it's like it's about idealism at the expense of common sense and practicality yeah. you know like on the behalf of the the ronin who are starving to death it's like okay hey stop being idealistic about your role as a samurai and go get a normal job or like do whatever you can to feed your family, uh, aside from pretending to want to kill yourself, uh, mm -hmm. you know, and then on the, obviously on the side of the, you know, working samurai, it's like, you know, you guys are upholding these ideals to the point where you are just being incredibly cruel and inflicting all of this pain on the people around you. And it's like, does nobody ever just stop to think about their fellow man outside of the ideals that they have set and to, uh, you know, maybe rethink their worldview based on how it affects the people around them. Yeah, idealism in the face of pragmatism, uh, it seems. Um, yeah. Uh, well, Another reason to recommend arguments? silence. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Yeah, I think it's interesting uh, that we really try as a society to say, like, this is the best time ever. We're doing the best. Everything is at its absolute best. With it, and not wanting to admit, like, things could be better, or maybe it mm -hmm. isn't the best right now. Um, but then also we never want to say the past was bad either that like there's hey, some hey. idyllic past time that was also great. Um, this sort of like everything is great. It will used to be great. It is great. Now we never want to talk about the, the gaps yeah. in the system. Or to the yeah, extent that just, we do, we only want to talk about the flaws in the system to the extent that it benefits whatever political ideology we have. And we're blind to the flaws in the system that support the political ideology that we have. Yeah. That, that, yeah. that we abused. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> I don't know what you, you guys are talking about. Everything's <laughs> great. <laughs> John just watched the Lego movie today. Yeah, there you That's go. right. Talking about I some did. idealism. <laughs> <laughs> Everything is awesome. Um, well, cool. Uh, well, I, I know that, I would recommend this. Uh, Dixon, would you recommend this? Uh, yes, I would absolutely recommend this. I gave this five stars on Letterboxd. I fucking loved it. Uh, I'm excited to watch it again and to explore more of Kobayashi's films. I've seen a handful of Kurosawa, and I haven't been a huge fan of of his. I really like Ozu. Um, I want to get into Kobayashi and some more Japanese filmmakers and to see what else is out there. Um, the Criterion Blu-ray of this was like one of the best 1080p blu-ray restorations that i've ever seen like the the picture quality was insane like i was pretty uh surprised at how how good it looked and it was just a a, a very fun watch i would highly recommend um anybody to check that out or any version of it that you can find uh, the movie's great yeah uh ryan would you recommend this yeah i totally recommend this i think it it's good to have in your belt of samurai movies to not just have the ones that are action fests to have something that really does talk about the system and its failures. Um, and you know, the, the, the type of people and the hidden hypocrisies within it. Um, Kurosawa, like I, it, that's what came over for the most part. And I think is still really big looming over <laughs> Japanese, uh, historical cinema 
And I think that his samurai movies are really what people tend to look at. But I think some of his better stuff is like high and low, like some of his detective or even just in, like later in his life, the things that were just individual personal pieces um, that weren't as dr- like overly dramatic as those were action oriented. Um, but there's really are these other great creators, even at the same time, totally a contemporary of Kurosawa who is making something absolutely excellent. Um, you just don't hear out as much. Um, mm-hmm. and so yeah, this is really great. I think it's great. He's yeah. As an anti anti samurai, anti Western kind of mentality of like not looking back, I idealize everything. Um, kind of bad luck that they're from the Fukushima clan of Hiroshima. Like it was, yeah, yeah it was like, wow, that's that. double down on being really weird as the years have passed. Double, double whammy. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and you'll notice that uh, I avoided asking if anybody would recommend Harakiri um, <laughs> because no Harakiri, uh, no seppuku. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't do yeah. it. Um, <laughs> it's, no it's death is honorable. Uh, you know, try to stay alive if you can. We all shit ourselves when we die. <laughs> there's no way there's honor in that. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, thanks for joining us on this episode. I have been your host, John Garcia. With me, as always. Ryan King. I don't, I don't really have anything. This is like we're talking about <laughs> such a down on <laughs> systems, down on society. It's your little quick yeah, joke, there's no Ryan. quick jokes here. <laughs> yeah, why aren't you going to make levity of this? Here, I'll just write in my logbook. We talked about a movie. It was great. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there you go. That's a good one. And Michael Dixon, thanks for putting up with our bullshit. Hey there, movie buffs, TV toughs, and all listeners in between. John here from the Afterthoughts Podcast. I just wanted to drop in at the end of this episode and say thanks for listening. If you've got afterthoughts of your own to share, hit us up. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at The Afterpod, or jump into a conversation on our Discord server. You can find info for this and more at theafterpod.transistor.fm. Thanks again for listening, and we'll catch you on the next episode.